Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And I, I, I pray that you find this a joyous classroom because we're going to do my very favorite thing, which is just study God's word. We're going to do a Bible study today as we continue our series with Bible teacher Jeff Verdorn. And we are in episode 13 of our study of Thessalonians. And we're starting today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I am looking forward to it. Just some of my very favorite things to do. You're never, ever going to get to the bottom of any passage of Scripture and go, I finally have got everything I need to know about God's Word. That is not going to happen in this lifetime, is it, Jeff? Nope. Hi, Bill. Hey, Jeff. A joyous classroom. Well, I want this. I like that. Well, studying the Bible should be really, really fun. It is. It should be joy. You know, I taught biblical worldview at a high school, Christian high school in town for a while, about four years. And I used to tell them this should be their funnest class. I agree. Right? Yeah. It's like, I know we're in school. I know that we have to do some quizzes and some tests and we got to do stuff like that. But I'm really interested. I used to tell them at the start of every semester, I'm interested in in your hearts and your minds, how you think about the word of God and how, and try to grow their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you didn't want to tell them what to think. You wanted to lead them to God's word and and teach them how to think. Absolutely. And it is cool. It's fun. And I hope that my excitement for the Word of God rubbed off on my students when I was teaching there. So, Well, no doubt it did. I know I hear from many people that listen to you on this show that feel the same way. So, cool. way to go. All right, let's jump in. Second Thessalonians. How about I read the first couple of verses? Yeah, let's... Well, let me just... A short introduction. Okay. We know that Paul wrote... Second Thessalonians, a short time, not long after First Thessalonians, probably around 51 or 52 AD. We know it's Paul. Paul is the author. He identifies himself. So we know it's a Paulinian epistle or letter. Um, the purpose of the letter is much the same as First Thessalonians. He was writing to encourage the believers, especially since they were being persecuted and experiencing so much persecution. So he was writing them about this hope that they have specifically, as we've been talking about for 12 weeks, the hope that they have in the rapture of the church. But as it relates to the rapture, he was also writing Second Thessalonians now to correct a clear misunderstanding or misteaching or false teaching concerning the Lord's coming or the day of the Lord. Uh, we'll get into that in chapter two next time, uh, but part of the purpose of this letter is to correct some teaching that they had received, reportedly from Paul, actually, which wasn't uh, about the end times. You see, the Thessalonians were experiencing such uh, significant persecution that they actually started to believe that they were in the tribulation period. And if they're in the tribulation period, they were worried that they had missed the rapture of the church mm-hmm. and were now in the tribulation period. And so we'll we'll discuss that in quite a bit of detail in chapter two. But what, that was one of the main uh, purposes for Paul writing writing the letter. So, and and he writes them basically and says, 
No, don't worry. You haven't missed the rapture. No, you're not in the tribulation yet. And let me clarify clarify a few things about the end times for you. So uh, with that, now let's start well, with... Well, Jeff, do you not find that a little fascinating? That that's how... I mean, this is this is a, in God's word, this letter. And he starts with basically trying to correct something that was possibly mis, misspoken or you, misunderstood. You know, when you survey the New Testament... Uh, Paul is actually doing a lot of this in Scripture, right? So yeah. he writes about to the Corinthians about some of the behaviors that they have and some of the church practices that they have to correct them. Uh, later, he corrects them about spiritual gifts later in 1 Corinthians. Um, in the Galatians, to the Galatians, he's correcting their basically Judaism that says that they need to... Uh, uh, continue to follow the law of God, and he is saying, no, 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 you are now in Christ Jesus. So there's actually a number of places in the New Testament where Paul is correcting false teaching. Okay. Let's jump in uh, to our continue our, our study in Second Thessalonians, and I just had it out, Jeff. And Did I you just it. lose it? I just lost it, but don't don't worry. I was going to say, be, I got it right up here. I'll, be able, I'll be able to find it. Um, Quick on his feet, huh? Why over there? Huh? Yeah. Need some music or something yeah. to yeah. fill the, little, fill the little, time. <laughs> little background music. All right, here we go. First two verses. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's just a simple opening. Um, we talked quite a bit last time at the conclusion of First Thessalonians because Paul closes many of his letters as well as starts many of his letters with this grace and peace. And so we actually spent, oh, I think 30 minutes talking about this line and how Paul starts and concludes with this greeting, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about that quite a bit last time. Uh, I don't think there's anything to talk about here. So let's just keep going. Read verse three and four. All right. We ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So here, clearly, Paul is mentioning the persecution and trials that they are going through, so he, he recognizes that, and he says, your faith is growing and all this love that you have for one another. In other words, you're doing great, Thessalonians. And in fact, this is exactly how he started First Thessalonians in chapter 1. If you recall, in verse 2, he says, We always thank God for you and continually mention you in, your, in our prayers. We remember you before God that your faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the start of the first letter, he's commending the Thessalonians. You're doing great. Your faith, your love, your hope, you're doing great. Keep it up. And here in Second Thessalonians, he is saying the same thing. Your faith is growing. Your love is abounding more and more. And Paul says he always gives thanks for them. This is one of these things that he is praying. Paul, you see this in almost all of his letters where he reminds the churches that he is dealing with that he is praying for them. And he's always praying for them. And so I think we should be praying for the church as well. And uh, I just don't think it's something that we do enough. Do you pray for your pastor? Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for the church in America? Are we praying 
for the body of Christ in this world. Because guess what? The body of Christ today is experiencing persecution and trials uh, around the world in the same way that the Thessalonians were experiencing trials in their day. Now, we in the United States have been insulated or protected from those trials and persecutions quite a bit. We live in a free country. We have freedom of religion. We were founded on Christian principles. But I think Christians in America are starting to get a glimpse that you know what? I think we could start seeing the persecution come towards Christians, even in this great country of America where we are supposed to have Agree. freedom to worship as we choose. But uh, around the world, you, you know, I met a woman. We went to Vietnam once on a mission trip with my church, and her name was, uh, well, I won't say her name, but her husband and her oldest son ran the church in the hill country in, in Vietnam. And uh, probably about 15 years before we were there, which was about 15 years ago, um, she watched her husband and oldest son get shot by the, the government because simply because they ran a church, a Christian church. And she started leading that church. She actually came to our church. I, I met her a couple times, even in the United States. And even though she was about four feet tall, I can tell you she was a giant in terms of faith. She had more faith in her little pinky than I think most of us will ever have. That's encouraging. And uh, she had experienced the trials and persecutions. I met another pastor from Vietnam who spent uh, eight years in prison uh, because he he wouldn't deny his senior pastor, who was also he he also saw get shot right in front of him, and he spent eight years in prison. And these people have faith in the Lord like I don't know that we'll ever experience. So. Paul is commending the Thessalonians in the face of their persecution for their growing faith and the love that they have for one another. Mm. Those are hard stories to hear. I, I can't process them that quickly. Now, I know I'm hosting a radio show right now, but I want to take three minutes and just pause and think. That's unbelievable. We don't go through that persecution, Jeff. We don't. I mean, if you look, I follow some of the Christian news from around the world. There are Christians uh, being persecuted in different countries around the world every single week. Um, there are Christians being killed. There are being Christians being kicked out of their homes. Uh, there is mass, almost genocide level persecution of Christians in countries happening today, right now around the world. Uh, there are many websites that track this and follow this and report this. And so you can find them. Um, but, uh, yeah, the church of Jesus Christ is being persecuted, um, around the world. Mm -hmm. So Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We are continuing our study in Thessalonians. This is a second Thessalonians chapter one. This is episode number 13. Hmm. All right, Jeff, what do I read next? Uh, start in Put me to verse work. five All right. and just keep, I think we're going to read through verse 10, but I might stop you a couple times here. All right. All this evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Okay, pause just for a second. We've got this thing. We're going to spend some time on this that God has promised that he's going to pay back trouble that they are receiving. There's a judgment day coming. We're going to talk about that. But it's when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven. Now, we've talked 
that Paul has talked about the rapture in every single chapter of, of Thessalonians so far. But this, I don't think, is the rapture. I think this is actually the second coming. But hold that thought because we're going to see the rapture in just a second. So keep reading in verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Okay, so you see the difference because I think this last verse here in chapter uh, verse 10 is the rapture of the church. That's for those who believe. But the previous one was when the Lord comes and is revealed in, from heaven in blazing fire and with angels to pay back trouble. That's judgment day. So you've got this distinct uh, difference between these two events. The first one is the second coming of Christ when he's going to pour out judgment upon the world. The second one is when we're going to be in glory with him, the rapture of the church. So there's the rapture in chapter one of Thessalonians. But in this passage here, what I wanted to focus on is God says that the the wicked, the unbelievers, those that are persecuting the Thessalonians, well, their day is coming. He's telling the Thessalonians, uh, I have a judgment. This judgment is going to come, and it's going to come on unbelievers. And in the end, Jesus is the one that wins. He is the one that's going to be revealed. He is going to establish his kingdom. I've read the back of the book, we win. But the Thessalonians are kind of saying, well, what about right now? We're experiencing persecution right now. And it's this this is the lament that we see quite a bit in Scripture throughout even the Old Testament, where it's like, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Jeremiah 21, why does the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Job 21, why did the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? Psalm 73 says it this way, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Why do the wicked prosper? All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. The righteous seem to suffer. Life is not fair. Yet the author continues, Psalm 73, verse 27, that those who are far from you will be punished. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. Judgment is coming. That is exactly what Paul just told us in the passage that you read. They, you will receive relief, Christian, from the trouble and the persecuting persecution that you're experiencing because Christ is going to come and pay back trouble to those who are causing you trouble. He's going to make all things right. He's going. It's it's like. Crime in our city is running running rampant, but one day there's going to be a new sheriff who comes to town and arrests all those people and lock them up and take them away. And finally, we're going to live in peace and prosperity. This is judgment day, right? We hear about judgment day in scripture. This is judgment day when he is going to punish the wicked. God's punishment, his judgment, and his wrath is as much part of God's character 
as his love and his mercy and his grace. Mm-hmm. And here Paul is telling the Thessalonians, I'm going to do this one day. Yeah, a lot of people have a hard time believing that, Jeff. They can believe God's love, but they don't want to think about his wrath. Yeah, and one of the things that you realize, especially when you understand the end and the end book and Revelation, God pours out his wrath on the world. He's going to pour out his wrath and his condemnation on the unbelieving world. Look, you, you do not have to get into Scripture too far to see that there's two roads there's two gates, there's two destinies, there's the sheep and the goat, there's the wheat and the tare, there's the narrow road that leads to everlasting life, and there's the broad gate that leads to destruction. And we, I want to talk about the two judgments. There's a judgment that is coming for unbelievers. There's a judgment for believers. I want to talk about that next. Let's do that. And I also want to talk about the unbelievers' judgment. There are two distinct judgments, but Scripture says... That just as it has man destined to die once and face judgment, he says, so every man is going to die and face the judgment. Daniel 12 says it this way. Daniel 12 says that multitudes sleep in the dust of the ground. Some basically will rise to everlasting life and be judged, others to everlasting shame and contempt. We're going to talk about those two judgments. I look forward to that. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're studying... 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, grab your Bible, or if you're driving, don't grab your Bible. Just listen, and we'll, uh, we'll fill in all the details. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. I'm back with Jeff Verdorn. We're studying First and Second Thessalonians. We've already concluded our study of First Thessalonians. Today is episode number thirteen and day one of our study into Second Thessalonians. Now, Jeff, we're going to get to the point where today we're going to talk about judgment for believers and judgment for unbelievers. Let's take our time going through those two. Hmm, good. So Romans two says God will give each person according to what he has done. To those who persist in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Well, that sounds like a good thing. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Ooh, that doesn't sound so good, right? Well, there are two destinies in Scripture. There are two judgments in Scripture. And so let's take the, the judgment, I'm sorry, let's take the great white throne judgment first This is the unbeliever's judgment. Unbelievers are judged at what's called the great white throne judgment. This is described in Revelation 20. It's at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, at the very end of time. This is right before there's a new heaven and new earth. This is judgment day that people think about. 
Um, Revelation 20, verse 11 starts and says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and heavens fled from his presence. Um, And then he sees a bunch of other thrones. John sees a bunch of other thrones in Revelation. And then he sees this book of life. And then other books were open. And these were the books of deeds. And the dead or the lost were judged according to what was written in the book of deeds. It says, the sea gave up the dead that was in them. Death and Haiti gave up the dead that were in them. And each were judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades, all the lost, are thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the great white throne judgment. What's going on here? This is the day, and in fact, I think in all of Scripture, it's the only day when everybody in, in all creation is present. God is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. All authority has been given to him. And do you know who else is on the throne? The body of Christ, the church. Because we, don't you know, Paul says, that we will judge the world, even angels, Paul says. So we are on the throne. Before us, who is being judged? All of lost humanity from the beginning of time to the end of time. Every single person who did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who rejected God, they're the called the dead, and they're the ones who come to life and appear before this great white throne. Remember John, 1 John 5 says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So in Christ, you have life. Outside of Christ, you don't have life. So these are the dead. They are the spiritually dead. They never were born again. They never received new life, and they are now being judged. They're being judged on the basis of their deeds. Now, what are the deeds of the lost? Well, Scripture paints a pretty dim picture that our acts are like filthy rags to God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. All have turned away and have become worthless. There's no one who does good, Scripture says, Romans 3 says. The lost are the bad tree that produce the bad fruit. Because I would contend the only good fruit that we, contend, that we can actually bear as people is when we are actually connected to the vine who is the source of good fruit. Mm-hmm. And so unbelievers can't bear any good deeds. But their fate is really not based on their deeds per se. They are at this judgment because their names are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. They are at the great white throne judgment because they'd never believed. Now, sure, the judgment is based on deeds, but they're there because of their lack of faith. Hebrews says, no, First Thessalonians says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. That's why they're there. They've been found guilty. This is really their sentencing hearing, and they are literally being sentenced to death. Anyone whose name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life was thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. This is the day that most of mankind goes through that broad gate to destruction. And we are part of that day. We are sitting with God, with Christ, on the throne, judging the world, 
watching them go through the broad gate to destruction and being thrown into the lake of fire. And you know what? We will know people at that judgment. We will know people standing in that crowd before us, looking up at us. And I think this is one of these convicting moments where I don't want someone looking back at me like, why didn't you ever tell me about this place? Why didn't you ever tell me the way of salvation? Why didn't you ever tell me that I can have salvation in Jesus Christ? Now, if you tell them, it's up to them to believe. It's on them. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. But God has tasked us with telling those people about this place. Now, you remember the story of Luke 16 where the rich man and Lazarus go to Hades. They're Mm -hmm. actually in Hades. And the rich man starts pleading with Abraham. It's like, I know my fate is sealed, but at least send Lazarus back and warn my family of this place, Mm -hmm. right? He knew We need to warn these people. This is the fate of the lost. Death, the second death, eternal death, the lake of fire death. They will be found guilty. This is the day, as Paul was just telling the Thessalonians, that he will pay back the trouble. He will punish those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Second Thessalonians verse 9 that we just read. I know the Thessalonians were being persecuted. And I think this message that the final victory is in Christ would have comforted them. But at the same time, for us today, when we think about this eternal judgment of the lost, I hope it helps motivates us to tell people that this day is real, it's going to happen, and let's tell them about it. So, Jeff, at this white, great white throne judgment, and if people are looking up saying, why didn't you tell me, my emotional response is going to be what? Guilt and shame? I'm in heaven, right? You're in heaven. Um, look, we're going to know that it couldn't be any other way. Um, one of the things about you know, this is a tough question sometimes for some in Christianity asking, well, why does God have to send a whole bunch of people, in fact, most people, most of mankind, to the lake of fire, to hell? Well, what happens next is tells all, actually. You go to verse tw- uh, chapter 21 in the book of Revelation, and God then says, <laughs> by the way, verse 21, we are crying. We are seen crying in verse in chapter 21 of Revelation. This comes right after the great white throne. And that's where it says God wipes away every tear. Mm-hmm. Well, I think God's heart is going to break on uh, on that day. Mm-hmm. God's heart's going to break on that day because he just sent most of mankind to the lake of fire. We, having the mind of Christ and the heart of God in glory, I think our hearts are going to break that day and we are going to cry. And that is where God says he comforts and dries are every tear. But it also says right in the start of chapter 21 that he makes all things new and nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. It had to be this way. Mm-hmm. God has to take care of the unrighteous before he makes all things new and then only the righteous will enter into it. And so he has to do it. This is the way it had to be. 
And never forget, people perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. So um, it is a reality of Christianity that there are two paths, two gates, two destinies, and one is really not good news at all. But the other is really, really good news. It's eternal life. It's an inheritance. It's being in the new heaven and new earth with God for all of eternity. Mm. And that's pretty cool. It's the very best news ever. It is. The most important decision you will ever make. The most important thing when people tell you about God, that you listen to them and you listen to them and ask yourself the question, have I, have I settled my place with Jesus? Have I placed my faith in him or am I still intellectualizing him? Yep. Big difference. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? Mm-hmm. And yeah. make sure the person that is talking to you is is uh, accessible and allows you to ask questions and, and backs everything up they say with the word of God that they can open a Bible and show you the very words inside scripture. If you have people that you know haven't believed yet, you know that are not right with God yet, don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep being a witness to them. Keep testifying to them, teaching them the things of God and trying to reason with them as Paul did from the scriptures to try to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ and they can have life in his name. So never give up on the unbeliever. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a little break and come back and continue our awesome study with Jeff Ferdorn. We are in Thessalonians. We'll be right back. Hope your day was good. Thanks for tuning in. I'm talking to Jeff Verdorn. We're studying Thessalonians, and we are in our uh, episode number 13 in the Second Thessalonians chapter one. We've been talking about the judgment for unbelievers. It's really hard news. It's really hard to listen to. Very difficult. But now let's uh, change gears, Jeff, and talk about judgment for believers at the judgment seat of Christ. Mm. Yeah, this, this is, is a lot more fun to talk more. about. It yeah. is. But Paul, you know, in, in verse 9, he talked about the punishment with everlasting destruction. And so we had to cover that. But let's, he doesn't mention the believer's judgment here in Thessalonians. But I wanted to, to offset our discussion of the unbeliever's judgment with the other big judgment in Scripture, and that is the believer's judgment, which really isn't a judgment at all. It's really a rewards ceremony. Now, our judgment is also based on deeds. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we must all appear, believers, before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the bema seat, or the bema judgment is the Greek word for it. So if you hear the bema or the judgment seat, it's talking about the same thing. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. But here's the picture. Paul goes on to say, or in a different book, 1 Corinthians 3, he says this, that our work needs to be shown for what it is, but if any man builds on a foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because this day, 
this judgment day, the Bema Seat, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he builds survives, he will be rewarded. But if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So what's the picture? The picture is is that as believers, we will be judged for what we've done in the body. And so our good deeds will survive this fire, this test of fire, and we will be rewarded for it. And anything that doesn't survive will be burned up. Now, this should be very good news. And it it's a little contrary to the common picture, I think, that is portrayed about the Bema seat. I think the common picture of the Bema is that when we die and we go to heaven, we're in our glorified bodies, we appear before this judgment, and when it's our turn, somehow God is going to show a giant movie of our whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Before all of heaven. Everyone watching, every and, detail. And, and who in the world wants that to happen? No one. No one. In fact, I was teaching on the end times where I teach on these two judgments, and we got to the Bema seat, and a friend of mine was in the class. Now, she has been a believer for decades, but she also spent decades as an unbeliever. And in her entire walk with Christ over multiple decades, she was dreading this day because someone had told her that her entire life would be presented before all of heaven on kind of a movie screen up at the Bema seat. And who wouldn't dread that day? And I told her that, no, 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 that's not the picture from Scripture. The picture from Scripture is that God doesn't count our sins against us. He has separated them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. Our unrighteous deeds are burned up. If God doesn't remember our sins, why would he broadcast them to all of heaven? It makes no sense. So our unrighteous acts, that which is is destroyed by the fire, is burned up. It's destroyed. And my friend came up after class and said, you know, for the first time in 30 some odd years or more, I am looking forward to this day, to the Bema Seat of Christ. And I said, that's a great thing because I am looking forward to it as well. I wonder, Jeff, how many other listening right now are getting that incredible sigh of relief thinking, oh, I, oh, I need to reshift my thinking because I thought I was going to be a big movie People were going to be watching all the sordid details of, of my, my life, my life, and everything. And uh, you can get rid of that idea now. I don't even think the most righteous, behaving Christian would want to have a movie of their whole life, nope. motivations and thought life and all, be presented before all of heaven. And I, I just don't think that's the picture. I think it's been taught that way, but I think the picture is is that. What was done outside of faith that you're not going to be rewarded for is burned up. That's Love what First Corinthians says. First Corinthians chapter three says. So we're rewarded for our good works. Now we get crowns. We've I've studied or we've talked about the crowns before on your show. There's multiple crowns that is talked about. I actually think it's one crown. It's just described different ways in Scripture. But somehow I think the crowns are related in some way to this to these rewards. It doesn't specifically say that in Scripture actually, but it says we are receive a reward, a crown, 
And but here's the here's the thing. Revelation says that when the 24 elders worship God, they take their crowns, the the church is already seen with their crowns in heaven and pictured by these 24 elders in the book of Revelation. And what do they do with them? They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, everything was created and has their being. In other words, they lay their crowns at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think in recognition that the only deeds that we are actually going to be rewarded for is the fruit that we bear as the branch connected to the vine. He is the one that actually bears the fruit. He is the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing, John 15 says. And so as we recognize that it's Lord you are rewarding me for my righteous acts that I did while in the body. And we're going to finally, we're going to recognize that it's really your righteousness working in and through me that bore, that bore that fruit that you're rewarding me for. And so I'm going to take my crown and I'm going to lay it right back at your feet. I'm not so concerned or I don't worry one bit about how big my crown is going to be, how many people talk about how many jewels or whatever. I don't, it, you know what? I'm going to lay it down at Christ's feet anyway mm-hmm. because it's his righteousness anyway. And by the way, it's Christ himself who is my portion. He is my great reward, Genesis 15, 1 says. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not worried too much about how big or how much reward I get. I want more to survive the fire. Don't get me wrong. But Christ is my reward in all of this. So, is that, is that what that Christian music group had in mind when they called themselves Casting Crowns? I think that's exactly what they had in mind. This passage that we are going to cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Now, my good friend Greg Steer, who's out in Colorado, he runs a ministry called Dare to Share. He likes to point this out. And so I, I always do this because I think he's right. It says, whenever... The 24 elders hear this voice, they lay their crown. In other words, they do it repeatedly, which means that we are going to go up and pick up our crowns so that we can just lay them down again. And he points out that he thinks this crown is going to be a treasured possession of ours for all of eternity Mm, because it was given to us by Christ himself. And I agree with him. Wow, fantastic. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our study in Thessalonians. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Where should I pick up, Jeff? How about verse 11 and 12? All right. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's Paul praying for them once again, constantly praying for the Thessalonians. Uh, And he says that our God, he prays that our God may make you worthy of his calling. So what is this calling that Paul is talking about? Well, in Ephesians 4, Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, um, those in Ephesus, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So we have clearly received a calling from the Lord, and we are to live out this calling. And I think that calling is very simple. It's to live a holy life for God, to live that set-apart life that promotes what is true, what is good, what Paul was just saying, that God may be glorified in you and you in him, that we may testify to his truth, that we call sin, sin, and we call evil, evil, and we live holy and separated lives in this world. He's called us to be light in this world, to proclaim the gospel to this world. That is the world that we are in. And God says we're we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are in the world to proclaim a message from a different kingdom. We, as Paul says to the Philippians, are not citizens of earth. We are actually citizens of heaven. We are heavenonians first and foremost, not Americans, not whatever country you're from. We are heavenonians. We are actually ambassadors from heaven and living in this earth, representing God's kingdom on this planet. All right, Jeff, and all you heavenonians listening, listening, we're going <laughs> to be right back with uh, more from Jeff in Second Thessalonians. Grab your Bibles if you can. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. What does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? Jeff, I bet you're going to be able to help me with this. Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're in 2 Thessalonians studying uh, through the book. So we've got many more episodes to come. But I want to talk about being an ambassador for Christ. What are some of the characteristics, Jeff? Well, cool. I love this little mini study. Uh, We were just talking about being heavenonians, that our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we are actually called Christ's ambassadors, ambassadors from the kingdom of heaven, who we are members of down in this world. So now think of an earthly ambassador. When you are appointed by a president or by a king, first, you don't appoint yourself, you're appointed by the king, which is exactly what Ephesians 2, 8 says, that you have been saved through faith, not by yourself, it's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. God is the one who has appointed us as the president or king, if you will, of heaven to be ambassadors in this foreign land, in this world. So that's number one, an ambassador is appointed. Number two, he does not become a citizen of the country that he's assigned to. He's still a citizen of his own country. If if I was appointed to be an ambassador to France, I wouldn't become a Frenchman. I'd still be an American. I just live in the country of France. And in the same way, we don't lose our citizenship in heaven when we are appointed to dwell on this planet as ambassadors. Number three, an ambassador is supposed to speak and say only that which the king wants them to say. Hmm. You have Jesus who said, I'm only going to say what, that, the, uh, what God has his authority 
tells him to say. So he was the perfect ambassador, if you will. And so we too should not speak on our own accord, but only that which our king wants us to say. Number four, one of the things that an ambassador enjoys is something called diplomatic immunity. In other words, they are not under the laws of the country that they are in. They are exempt from prosecution from the laws within the country that they are in. And so that's called diplomatic immunity. Interesting because Colossians 2.20 says says this, Since you died to Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? So the rules of the world are not from us. We have diplomatic immunity to the rules of the world. But lest you think, okay, I can just go do whatever I want, because that's what some ambassadors do, right? When they're in the country, they feel like, hey, I can just go break whatever laws I want because I have diplomatic immunity. No, 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 no. A good ambassador is supposed to follow the laws and the customs of the land. Even though you're not under the authority, you are supposed to submit to the authority in the land that you're living. So too, God says, Romans 13, therefore everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. So God wants us as ambassadors to submit to the authority that we're living under and be those that good citizen, mm-hmm. if you will. That's number five. Number six, as an ambassador... We are to be gracious in speech, we are to be humble, and we are to be an effective communicator. So 1 Peter 3.15 says this about us as Christian ambassadors. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So just as a good ambassador in the foreign land should be gracious in speech and humble and effective in his communication, so too in Christ Jesus we should be the same in the world in which we live. Number seven, a good ambassador understands that when they are insulted and any insults that are levied towards him are not aimed at him personally, but they're aimed at the president or the king whom they represent. Ooh. So we, when we receive persecution, when we receive insults in this world, Matthew 5, 11, Jesus said this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, he says. Mm-hmm. Remember, they're not persecuting you for your Christian faith. Yeah. It's directed at you, but who they are really attacking is Christ Jesus himself. 1 Peter 4.14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Great reminder that we take persecution, not to take it personally, but they're going after God. Yeah, Jesus goes on to say, why are you surprised by the persecution that you're suffering? Um, In this world, you will have trouble because they persecuted me first, he says, and you will also be persecuted. And and by the way, the more you let your light shine in this world, Bill, the more brightly 
you proclaim Christ to this world, you're going to experience more persecution. Every Paul says everyone who lives wants to live a godly life in this world will be persecuted. So the brighter the light, the more persecution you're probably going to receive. Mm-hmm. That's really, really helpful. That's a great reminder of who we are in Christ and as ambassadors of the King, what we can expect and how we can form and shape our own identity. It's yeah. a, really a great reminder. It is, and it's not directed towards you. So don't well, take it personal. I know. We shouldn't think anything is that directed about no, us. No, I know it. You know, I think we get obsessed about everything related to us when we think we just need to get our eyes focused on him and get our eyes off us. I think we're going to be much happier people that way. Absolutely. All right, number eight. Anything that an ambassador does reflects on his king and on his country. Ooh, this one kind of just got personal. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, it does, doesn't Looks it? It's like we're out of time. <laughs> First Peter 2.12. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, right? So, look, our testimony is damaged, obviously, for Christ when we are not living a Christian life. When we are living like the world, it's going to harm our testimony. It's going to harm our witness to this Christ. And it's just true. Uh, and it's going to happen. So we should be living such good lives amongst the pagans that they don't have anything to accuse of us. Us. All right, number nine, under the protection of the home country. An ambassador is under the protection of his home country even while he's in the foreign land. And in fact, his embassy, number 10, is part of the home country's property. I think that's what church is. That's kind of home base for us. Number 11, an ambassador can be discharged at any time. And number 12, oh, I'm out of time. Number 12, the first thing a king does is recall his ambassador before he wages war on the country. Ooh. That is the rapture. That's powerful. All right, Jeff, thanks for the teaching and the time together. Always enjoy it. That's our show for the day. If you missed any of this, go to myfaithradio.com. Check out the podcast. I love my podcasters. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.